Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today I'm joined by guest Maggie Patterson. Maggie helps small business owners maximize the impact of their digital marketing. She's the principal consultant at Scoop Studios, the host of the Small Business Boss podcast, and her work has been featured at Entrepreneur.com, Fast Company, Virgin.com, and other leading publications. Today, we're going to talk about her signature systems for helping you ditch hourly billing. Maggie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Jonathan. I'm super excited to be here. I'm glad to have you. So for folks who are just encountering you for the first time, can you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do? So I am a long time, uh, you know, I'm self-employed. I started off as a freelancer about 13 years ago. And from there, I've been on a, you know, long journey as many of us have been and gone from, you know, really that kind of freelancing mindset to building my own, you know, small team micro agency focused on content marketing. And what was really interesting is I ended up having a lot of clients who were, you know, making things way more complicated than they need to be. They were people that were offering services. And I quickly discovered, I was like, oh, the things I do, I need to start teaching you and talking about that. <laughs> and part of that was really helping them kind of escape that hourly model and figure out how to optimize their business and ultimately make more money. Absolutely. Well, you're in the right place. <laughs> so what are some of the uh, signature systems that you talk about that I read about on your website? So, you know, here's the thing is, you know, being in, in an agency environment, one of the challenges we have is, you know, most people come to us, they're looking for an hours-based retainer. And, you know, I'm not totally against an hours-based retainer. I think there are situations where it can work. But what I personally found for me, and then as I started to grow a team, is it really, really felt constricted. And a lot of clients get into that. And I'm sure everyone's familiar with this, is the they want this accounting or they want to know like, why did it take you three hours to write this, you know, pay this sales page? And there's just kind of this weird back and forth. And I personally don't like that. Um, you know, I take a lot of pride in my work and I was like, okay, so how can we get out of this? Right. So what I started doing was, you know, I started off doing what most of us do. Well, we'll create a package. And I was like, okay, so if you want us to work on this PR campaign, it's going to be a flat rate and here's the deliverables. But what I quickly found is what people were doing is being like, well, I think that should take 10 hours. And well, I don't really want to pay you $300 an hour to do that. So to kind of get around that, what I really started looking at is like, what's our secret sauce? What's our special system? What makes us unique and worth paying that premium price for? So for most of our services, what we started doing at that point was really looking at, okay, so what's the methodology? What is the system or process that we can kind of create as a signature process around this so that people really understand, like, you're not coming to us because it's a straight exchange of hours. You're coming to us because we're the best person for this specific gig. And ultimately, you're paying for our expertise and our framework. And that really, oh my gosh, that made everything so much easier. And I was able to start making a lot more money very very quickly doing a lot of the same things I'd been doing most of my career. Okay. So one thing I want to call out about that to the dear listener was play that back about 30 seconds and listen to the confidence in Maggie's voice. It, you, it comes through in the way you just project that, uh, you know, you're paying for the outcome, you're paying for the expertise. It, it just comes through loud and clear. And I'm sure that's the same case when, when you're in a sales conversation with clients. And the other thing I would like to call out there is that you're still doing the same stuff. 
you didn't have to change what you did, right? You're still engaging the same activities, but you're presenting it to them in a different way, sort of framing it differently. And that had a dramatic impact on your income. Yes. Uh, it had a dramatic, dramatic impact. I mean, I had literally been in a situation for eight plus years. I had been changing the, charging a hundred dollars an hour to my clients. And I was like, well, that's good. I'm just freelancing. It's all good. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I was making really, really good money. But I kind of had reached a point where I was bored out of my mind. I was like, is this it? I'm way too young to keep doing this. So, you know, as I started building a team and as I started to pivot my business, I was like, all right, let's add in these different ways of doing things so that we can actually make more money. And the net result of that was the year I started adding in these signature systems and really baking them into these services, we grew our revenue by 2.5 times that year. Hmm. So, you know, we, it was a very, very healthy increase in income. And, you know, it's just kind of incrementally improved and gone up from there. Hmm. It's implied, but I want to make sure that, that, you know, I think you said 2.5x increase. Yeah. There was not a commensurate amount of labor increase. No, no. no. I mean, there was a tiny bit of labor increase, but it didn't have to be labor done by me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's what I'm always looking for as an agency owner, right? I'm like, all right, how can we, you know, take everything and get it out of my head so that it is something that people on the team can be trained on and managed on. And I'm not, I'm not the linchpin in everything. And, you know, as I continue to grow, it's like everything we do needs to be put into these signature systems so that anyone on our team can be trained to deliver them. Okay. So let's, let's describe what, like unpack what a signature system is. Is, Are we talking about like an SOP or, uh, you know, is this a, a, a way that you decrease the amount of reinventing the wheel in terms of uh, on the on the cost side for yourself, or is this something that you actually is part of your marketing, part of your pitch to clients, and is something that eh, I don't want to use the word deliverable, but is something that they feel like they're buying? Are they buying a signature signature system, or do you use them to make your delivery easier? So it's actually a bit of both. Okay. So anyway, I love that you asked this question because I think a lot of times we're really good at doing you know, creating the SOP or using it in our marketing, but not doing both. So the approach I have taken is that, um, you know, it's created on the back end in a way that it is a repeatable process. It is something that is very clearly understood. You know, there is SOPs, there's frameworks, everything is systematized. But the more important part of that is the front facing, if you're going to be able to sell this, is we have named the process. We have named the package. So, you know, for example, when someone comes to us for storytelling, we're not just like, oh, we're going to do your messaging and storytelling. We're like, oh, you need the story distillery. And here's the four distinct stages we run through. And this is how it works. And this is the outcome. So, you know, getting on the phone to sell that, I'm like, there's no debate about what we're doing. I'm like, this is how we do it. And if you want to work with us, this is how we're going to function within how this is done. And there is something magical that happens when you start to name steps, when you give a framework, you know, a specific way for people to remember it. All of a sudden, it becomes way more attractive and people are willing to pay more for it because it seems up-leveled. Sure. We, I, I think there's probably, it probably has a lot to do with the fact that all of this stuff is knowledge work and people who are hiring us to do it, perhaps sell shoes or pizza or whatever, and really don't, you know, they sort of know they need this, but they don't really know what 
is going on inside the sausage factory. So yeah. I feel like giving them something that they can get their head around and they can, it sort of paints a picture for them like, okay, okay, that makes sense. These steps make sense. And it makes it more comfortable. You know, it's like the difference yeah. between riding in a car with the windshield blacked out, you know, a hundred miles an hour and, you know, being able to see. So, you know, do you want to get in that ta taxi cab? Nope. <laughs> right. So it, it's, I, I can imagine it makes it a lot less scary for people. I'm sure that has a lot to do with it. Yeah. It, ultimately it, the job of doing this. And when I talk to people about like how they can do this in their business, it always comes down to, you know, as services are fairly intangible. So if, you know, for me as a copywriter, I'm delivering a, delivering a content strategy, like, well, that's not very exciting. It's a Google doc. So people don't <laughs> appreciate the years of experience and the systems and the process that go into that. But by being able to articulate that system, all of a sudden I've made it tangible and they kind of understand those inner workings so much better. Great. Okay. That makes perfect sense. Uh, you know, compare that to like, you know, getting called up and say, Hey, I understand you do copywriting. What's your hourly rate? Oh, you know, a hundred dollars an hour. Uh, what do you want me to do? And now yeah. like the, the client's supposed to drive the whole engagement. Like who's the expert here? So having that, having that sort of articulated and listed and clear makes it, uh, it positions you as the expert. Like, look, we've done this a million times. You're in good hands. It goes like this. You'll be fine. And these are the outcomes you can expect. Yeah. And really, you know, I love that you brought up these, the expert role because so many times I think, especially if we're less experienced or we're lacking confidence, what we tend to do is we give the client all the control. And a lot of this comes down to renegotiating that relationship. So you are the expert, you are the trusted partner. And if they are not going to be able to take your counsel or work within your frameworks, they're not going to be the right client for you. And let me tell you, once I started doing this, the quality of clients and my enjoyment of working with those clients improved exponentially. Yeah, I believe it. So but let's just call out. That also means that clients or prospects came through the door that you said no to. Uh, always. Right. Always. So if you're saying piece. yes to everyone, that's a bad thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Just wanted to make sure that was clear. Uh, how... When a client comes to you, so let's let's use that as a segue. You get an email, or how does it usually work? I assume you get an email or a phone call. Somebody says, "Hey, what do you do? You know, do you have a meeting?" Yeah. So typically, you know, most of my clients, it's virtual. I don't have a lot of in-person clients, and I've actually discovered, personally for me, I don't love in-person clients because it means I have to leave the house and. <laughs> you know, they want to meet all the time. And I'm like, I love you, but can I just stay home? Yeah, I'm the same way. <laughs> so for me, really, you know, our leads come in on the agency side in kind of two ways. It's usually a referral or it's someone who's contacting us, you know, through a contact form on our website. And the very first thing that they will go through is they do go through some pre-screening. So, you know, we want to know what kind of project they have, what kind of budget they have, you know, where are they in their business? What kind of results are they looking for? And that's kind of that first pro step in the process of filtering someone out. And, you know, the budget question, I know a lot of people um, kind of want to resist this one, but if my co copywriting package is $5,000 and someone has the expectation of $500, mm -hmm. I'm a great salesperson, but that's not a sales call I want to take. So, right. you know, that really kind of sets the pace of, you know, we can ask a couple more qualifying questions if we're not sure before we decide we're going to move them into getting on the phone. So if someone is a good fit, kind of as we go through that pre-screening, um, what we'll do is we'll reach out to them and I will get on the phone with them and really just have that conversation. And if I feel like before we get on the phone, it's a little like the pricing questions, a little squishy, 
or they aren't really there, I will personally reach out to them and say like, hey, I don't want to waste your time. I want to make sure this is a good fit. So I will just ask the question point blank. And I learned to do that after spending time on consult calls that were just going nowhere. Like I literally would get on the phone with someone and be like, really? Are you kidding me? This is like, this project is so not a good fit. So, (laughs) you know, I think building layers into that process and not just getting on the phone with everyone, pre-qualifying people, don't being afraid to ask the budget question. Don't be afraid to clarify the budget question or their expectations. And, you know, um, watching for those kind of red flags that come up. Like if you start to get that little feeling in your stomach that you're like, oh, maybe not, (laughs) you know, ask the questions. And then typically once I get on the phone with someone, it's not a kind of like, let's get to know each other. Like, are you going to like me type call? It's a, let's talk about how we can work together. And if this is a good fit. Um, and the expectation there is not that I'm giving free advice. I'm not giving strategy. Mm-hmm. I am there to learn about what they need and figure out if it's going to be a fit for us. And then from there, I can either say, okay, you know what? If it's going to be a fit, here's the package I'm going to recommend and walk them through it. Or if they need something that's, you know, a series of packages or customized a little bit, I, I come back to them with a proposal. And because of those steps in the process, you know, we've got to a point where we have a fairly high close rate um, because we're just not, we're not weeding through people at the proposal stage and wasting our time on that. We're getting everyone kind of cleared out before we even get on the phone with them. Because if I get on the phone with someone, I expect to close that close that person. So I want to make sure my time is well spent. <laughs> yeah, this will sound familiar to, to listeners of the podcast. And I've said a very similar thing. It's like, yeah, I don't want to write proposals. It's not fun. So yep. if something comes through that doesn't feel like a good fit, I'm just going to call. Yeah, I'm just going to call it and be like, yeah, nah, this isn't a good fit. I'll recommend you to someone who's probably a better fit. And that just, that's why my, my close rate is really high because I only I only write the proposals for things that I'm basically positive we're going to close. Yeah. And I, I think one thing too, to kind of look at if you are at the point where your close rate is off, like there's usually two problems happening. Number one, you're talking to the wrong people or number two, you got a problem with your proposals. And I think that that's not talked about enough is a lot of times I'll see someone's proposal. I'm like, Oh, it's a miracle. You have any clients. Right. I know. It's just not well thought out. Like sending someone some pricing. It's not enough. Like I'm so, Oh my gosh, I am adamant about how proposals need to be very detailed. And I mean, detailed in as in, this is how we work together and we use Basecamp and here's our office hours. And if you're in a copywriting project, you're getting this in a Google doc. I want every single expectation of that working relationship to be established up front. And I have been told by clients time and time again, like that's why they hire us because they know exactly what they're signing up for. Interesting. Okay. So let's talk about your proposal. So can you walk us through, just give us some uh, sort of high level, um, how many pages do they typically run? I mean, we're talking like a book here or is it uh, no. you know, five, six pages? Yeah, like five, six pages. But I think, you know, obviously we do like scope of work and budgets and like, you know, this is how fees work and all this type of stuff. But there's a few key sections in there we include is we do include a section on why scoop. Um, and that, you know, it may seem obvious, but if someone's evaluating four or five proposals, they may not remember who you are. 
Good point. I hate to say that, but I think that that's something we we make of a lot of assumptions. Um, And the other one we always include is like, this is how we work together. And in that, we talk about the fact, you know, this is the kind of response time we communicate exclusively through Basecamp, all those types of things. And, And we really position it as this is the way we do business so that there's no surprises. And the more detail I've started to put in there over the years and every single thing that's in there is definitely the result of a hard lesson with a client and managing their expectations. So Mm -hmm. now if anyone even dreams of stepping out of compliance with that, I'm like, Hey, you know what? Go read your proposal and your contract. (laughs) Right. I think another good reason to to put a a why us section in there or why me section in there is that the, uh, the, the person who originally contacted you might, know all about you, you know, yep. and just thinks you're the greatest thing ever. But they're, there's the odds are decent that they're going to pass that proposal around to other people and say, does this seem like it's kind of high? Because my, my proposals generally are the most expensive ones they get. Mm-hmm. So they might say, eh, I'm going to show this to my spouse or CFO or colleague. Yeah. And, you know, those people don't know how awesome we all are. So probably makes sense to have a few bullet points in there about, uh, you know, things that the person you're sending it to might already know, but people they yeah. might ask for advice don't know. But I love, I never thought of the, they might forget who you are. <laughs> That's a good one. And you know, here's the, one of the easiest sections. I think if someone's listening to this, they're like, oh, I can't, I can't handle putting all this in. The one thing I think that really helps is not just ending it with like, here's the fees piece out, like putting a next step section in. And I mean, it's literally one, two, three. It's like you review this proposal. Like I tell them exactly what they need to do next. And that eliminates any any ambiguity or confusion about what they should do. I'm like, hit accept on this proposal. I will get you the paperwork and we can start within X days. I'm painting a picture for that next step for them. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Just like walking them into the process. It's like you're giving them a preview of what it would be like to work with you, which is very, uh, uh, very hands, uh, I don't want to say hands on. You just have guardrails all over the place that, that are, um, in service of protecting the project and guarantee, you know, gu- guaranteeing to the extent that you can a successful outcome. So it's, uh, yeah, I love that. It's great. Um, so, okay. So let's talk about pricing because that is the main focus of this show. So what, yeah. how do you, how do you price these different things? It sounds like you've got a sort of Chinese menu of options that people can pick from. And they're very clearly defined both term, you know, extremely well-defined internally and also well-defined to the client so that they feel those guardrails, they feel safe with you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, do they, do you price them in different ways? How do you, how do you think about that? Do you offer options in the proposal or do you already figure that out before you write the proposal and you're just re- recommending like one specific thing or a combination of three things that they should do all of? And you did mention while you're talking about that, you mentioned earlier that you think there are some situations where hour, hourly makes sense. So I'm curious if if at any time these days, do you engage in hourly type stuff or is that something that you think makes sense for other people, but you've left it behind? Okay. So first part of the question about every, you know, we basically have a series of kind of four to five core packages. And all of those are at a flat rate. Um, I have over the years been able to figure out, you know, what's the right price point in the market for those things? How much time is involved? How much do I need to be involved? You know, what are our hard costs involved with delivering that package? You know, are there specific things we need to be purchasing or programs we need to use? Or so, you know, we've got to the point where we know, hey, a copywriting package is X. This is, you know, this type of package is why. So those are kind of like always our base prices. Now, there might be instances where I'll talk to a client and I'm like, oh, 
that project, like a copywriting project, that's not a $4,500 project. That's going to be a $7,000 project. Um, Typically, we don't go down on those rates of the, the core kind of package pricing. It mm-hmm. always will go up if needed, mm-hmm. um, kind of as an add-on or an expansion of it. And then in terms of the hourly pricing, the only place right now we use hourly pricing in the agency is for very, very tactical retainers where I am not involved, where it is literally my team executing mm-hmm. and it's not strategy work. It's, you know, it's just a straight exchange of time for money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've tried different models for that. It's because we offer kind of a robust set of content marketing services. We are very challenged to kind of constrain that into, okay, well, here's all the deliverables because the the mark moves. I mean, we tried it and it was just like, oh my gosh, this is a disaster. Um, but where we do see opportunities, you know, like with monthly blogging, that is a flat rate package and it's like X number of posts per month. Here's mm-hmm. what you can expect. Mm-hmm. So any anywhere we can find that way to flat rate, um, you know, we're always going to make more money with a flat rate, always. Yeah. So we talk about this all the time on the show and in, in other places like the you know other podcasts, and mm-hmm. typically refer to what you're describing as productized services. Uh, I don't know if you use, yeah. use that terminology, but I sure do. Yeah. So th- this is great, and I especially recommend it for for folks who uh, aren't really you know they they want to disconnect their time from their money. So if you want to move away from that and sort of break that chain, then it's really hard to do. I think it's really hard to jump straight to like value pricing custom projects yeah. because it's a skill. And, and when you're moving from hourly to value pricing, especially for a, you know, three to six to maybe even 12 month project for a development project, you are definitely going to under underbid it. Definitely. I've never yep. seen it. It's, you're going to because you're not going to get the value conversation right. You're going to be thinking about scope too much. So the the sort of interim step, and in fact, as you're pointing out here, as you're a perfect example of someone who's basically turned that into their whole business and doesn't have to even bother with something that's very difficult, which is having a value conversation. You're just like, look, here's how it goes. This is a step-by-step thing. It's this much money. Take it or leave it, more or less. And you don't really, I mean, it's it's hard to settle that stuff up, but it. It makes the sale a lot easier. I mean, that's the productized part. It makes the sale a lot easier. And I love it. I've, I've almost exclusively gone to productized services myself because I'm just, you know, I've been doing value conversations or, you know, as I call it, the why conversation for a decade. And I'm sick of it. It's like, it, it is hard. Uh, I can do it, but it's hard and I don't enjoy it. So I'm just kind of like, you know what? This is 12 grand. Do you want it or not? And yeah, it just makes, it makes my, for people who, don't like doing sales or they know they're not good at sales. It's a great option. Yeah. And honestly, I, I can't even tell you like the level of swagger you will bring to that sales conversation. Like <laughs> once you have that process or that proctite service locked and loaded, like it's exactly what you said. It's like, here it is. Mm-hmm. This is the way it works. Are you in or are you out? And mm-hmm. you know, there have been, I think, you have to just watch and really observe and be a good student of what's happening in your business. You know, those times when you do try to go to value pricing and you underprice, like what can you learn from every single project? So, you know, we've had over the last year, we, we started doing some website projects because we can, and we quickly discovered that there's no amount, no matter how much we think that project is paying us, we're not interested in it because there's 
website projects, there's always something and it's not the most, uh, effective use of everyone's time. And, you know, that at the onset, I was like, oh, these are big value pro- dollar projects. And I looked at them after I'm like, oh no, these go on too long. We can't do this. <laughs> so just being, you know, observant of like, Hey, this is a great productized service and I can sell those all day long, but mm-hmm. I don't want to, I'm not interested. That's mm-hmm. no too much work. My time to stress ratio is too high. Right. So how, that's, that's a question I've been meaning to ask, which is uh, an engagement when you sell a typical engagement, not one of these website things. Uh, a typical engagement engagement for your last how long are they quick or longer it depends we do kind of a mix of product project work so we might have projects that are you know kind of three to six months in scope and then um but our goal is always to get people into retainers so we have a lot of clients who are in retainers that is in a package type thing like we have a corporate client we just do case studies for them. And that's a flat rate for X case studies per month. Another one, it's articles that we're creating every month for them that are, you know, content that from their CEOs. So they're very important and very strategic and they pay a premium because they know we understand their market. So, you know, again, those are flat rate things. Whereas if I were to say to those same clients, I was like, I'm going to charge you, um, 20 hours for a case study, like or whatever it is, they'd be like, yeah, or $300 or $400 an hour. They'd be like, yeah, go home, Maggie. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. It's weird. The psychology is weird. If when, when everybody's focused on the hours, yeah. it's like the human brain is like, I know it's like the human brain is says no one's worth $400 an hour. I don't care what they're doing. It, there's yep. just something about it that uh, it angers people. You know, I've had it, I've seen it happen in, um, when an invoice will will go to say accounts payable and someone who is just working there doing accounts payable sees a really high hourly rate and they freak out and they're like they start to cause problems for you because they are angry that their boss is paying someone 200 bucks an hour mm-hmm. let's say to do something when their salary is 30 grand a year you know for full time you know it's just it drives people nuts and in, and strangely, it gives this sort of false equivalency between, you know, you and other people who also bill by the hour because they feel like, you know, it's like a bin of apples and, and this one's 50 cents and this one's $5. They're like, well, as far as I'm concerned, basically the same thing. I'm going to take the one that's 50 cents. So it's like giving someone a really simple label to, to weed you out and it drives everybody in this race to zero, you know, like the lowest cost the lowest hourly rate wins, which yeah, makes no and sense. I think what's so interesting about that is I have um, really good friends and clients that run a small law practice, and they charge like you know three hundred and fifty, four hundred dollars an hour. Yeah. No one ever questions them because they're lawyers. We went to school the same amount of time. I've been running a business longer than them. If I said to someone, oh, my rate's $350 an hour, they would look at me like I had five heads. So it's so interesting how it's industry specific. And, you know, as someone who creates content and my talent, you know, my marketable skill is writing. Mm -hmm. Everyone goes, well, I can write. (laughs) or everyone's a photographer or, you know, like software development, at least not everyone thinks they can code. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Copywriters and photographers have it really bad right now because like, oh, well, we'll just do it. And it's, you know, perhaps not easy for the client to distinguish between good and bad. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And the, the point about different industries having different hourly rates, it's, I mean, you know, behavioral economics is real, you know, pricing behavior and buying behavior is utterly irrational. There's no logic to it. I mean, maybe at a macro scale, you can see some kinds of patterns and stuff, but it's, it's extremely unpredictable and 
it, people's brain, like when they're in a buying mode and you can see the dear listener, you can, you can just, if you're, um, sort of self-aware as you go through your day and you're buying things, notice how something that's like 40 bucks you think is a ripoff, but then you'll go pay, you know, $700 for, you know, something else that you don't even think twice about for like a leather jacket, but you don't want to pay 40 bucks for uh, like uh, a lightning cord from Apple because what a ripoff. This should be $4. You have all these expectations of what the, what the market price should be for something. And just like Maggie said, you expect a lawyer's hourly rate to be high. You just, because that's, it's just an expectation that's part that's sort of baked into society over time. And if you, if you are in a market where the hourly rate has been baked into society at like $5 an hour or $25 an hour or even $100 an hour, run away from the hourly rate because it's, it's on the way down. You know, you're like, it's with, you know, fiber and upwork. You're just going to get more and more commoditized, especially when it could be done remotely. So, you know, what Maggie's describing here is, is a hundred percent thumbs up path out of that trap. Yeah, I'm laughing about what you said about the value proposition, because my husband was saying this to me the other day, because I went and bought a pair of uh, the Apple AirPods, because <laughs> and he's like, they were like 200 and some dollars. I was like, really? For headphones? Yeah. But meanwhile, there's a bedspread I've wanted that's like way less than those, but I won't buy it till it goes on sale. Yeah, exactly. He's like, you get way more, you sleep in your bed every single night. You're going to get way more enjoyment out of that bedspread over your headphones. And I'm like, yeah, but it's Apple. Yeah. I know, right? They set the expectation. We are the most expensive. If you want our stuff, you're going to pay. So Yeah, and I have a lot of Apple products and I never really worry about how much they cost because I'm like, oh, I'm paying for the best. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always always enter a fugue state when I buy an Apple product. I'm like, suddenly like some piece of marketing or advertising that fetishizes a particular chamfered edge. I'm just like, I must have that now. Yep. Just like (laughs) (laughs) hit the buy button. So this has been excellent. This is just 100% solid gold. So thank you very much. Um, Where can people go to find out more about you online? So the best place to learn more about me is the Small Business Boss podcast. And that's everywhere you listen to podcasts or the Small Business Boss website at smallbusinessboss.co. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark, and I hope you join us again next time for Ditching Hourly. Bye. If you'd like to learn more about how to ditch hourly billing, please go to valuepricingbootcamp.com to sign up for my free email course. Again, that URL is valuepricingbootcamp.com. Thanks. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time, or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space, or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com call. C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com slash call. Hope to see you there.